It's a new football season. Le'Veon Bell is with the New York Jets. Odell Beckham is in Cleveland. But one thing hasn't changed, and that is that my bookie is the place to bet on football every weekend. My bookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sports book, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000, and it only costs $100 to enter. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. MyBookie has live in-game betting on every NFL game. They've got the most rewarding player perks in the business, and for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Right now, you can double your first deposit with a first deposit bonus worth up to $1,000. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON when creating your account to claim your bonus. You bet. You win, you get paid. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Forfeit the game before somebody else takes you out of the frame. Put your name to shame, cover up your face. You can't run the race, the pace is too fast, you just won't last. What's up and welcome to your Thursday edition of the Locked On Bucks podcast. I am your host, David Harrison, joined as always by... Evan Winter, both of us credentialed writers for BucksNation.com, part of SB Nation. Find all of our writing over there. And you can find me on Twitter at DH82 underscore Bucks. Find Evan on Twitter at Evan underscore Winter. Find the website on Twitter at Bucks underscore Nation. And, of course, follow this show on Twitter as well at Lockdown Bucks. Evan, it's been about a week since we talked. Um, how, how have you been? Man, how can I complain after Sunday? Doing great, man. Yeah, man. Um, real quick, I mean – you know, obviously we're moving on to new Orleans and everything else, but this is your, your one time a week on the show. So our, our listeners want to hear from you as well. Kind of give us like a two minute, if you can uh brief debrief of how you feel about what the way the Buccaneers came out of Los Angeles. It's hard to not be encouraged about what we saw on Sunday. Um, I mean, this is what we've always thought this team could do. Now, granted, 40 points, you don't want to see that given up. But as long as you got the double nickels on the other side of the scoreboard, uh, 55 points for those who didn't get the joke, um, then, I mean, you can, you tend to, you're you're able to live with that. Um, Secondary is still a concern. Got to love what the front seven is doing. The offensive line looked really good. And just overall, man, really, really pleased. Matt Gay looks great. And the next step is to get a back get back to back wins for the first season. So that's that's the next step. Yeah, most definitely. After the Carolina game, of course, in the locker room, you know, Coach Aaron's talked about stacking up wins. Unfortunately, they weren't able to do that in week three, but they did stack a second win on top of their first one for the season. So yeah, let's let's hope that the uh, the Buccaneers can stack a second consecutive win for their third of the year. Um, and we're definitely going to talk a little bit on the Saints, but we're going to talk a few other things first. The Saints will be towards the tail end, uh, probably a very brief part of this. But first things first, we're going to kick it off. We got a couple voicemails that I want to address uh, before we get into the, the meat of our, our episode here. David, James, it's Greco. So I've been checking the sports news lately, reading articles, just scanning around, checking what's going on, seeing how the national media is viewing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
Basically, we're not getting any respect. This team, this city, they're not getting any respect. Every once in a while, you hear some good things about Mike Evans. You know, Shaq Barrett turned a couple heads, but really the national media doesn't think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are good or are ever going to be good. Um, and this is disturbing because I don't feel like they're actually watching the team. For instance, the whole talk about L.A. and Tampa Bay Buccaneers game was, oh, wow, there were a lot of points scored, but Jared Goff just had a terrible game. And, you know, he just basically gave them all these points, and they didn't really do nothing. James is just okay. You know, he just, you know, he did a little bit better, you know. But what is that? that that's not an analysis. <laughs> I mean, there's so much bias against this team. I don't understand it. We hear it all the time also with the announcers, you know. I mean, I, I don't know, man. What, what does Tampa Bay have to do? to get some respect. If Wing is not getting them respect, I don't know what is. Anyway, I want to hear what you guys have to say. Grico out. All right, Grico, we appreciate the phone call as always, of course. And Evan, I'm going to let you uh, kick off the response there. What do you what do you think about what Grico had to say? Grico, I completely get what you're saying. It's just one win though, man. Um this is a perennial perennially losing franchise, bottom of the NFC South, 8 of the last 10 years. You've got to win, and you've got to win. This is just what David and I were talking about. You've got to win consistently for respect. Um, Los Angeles was just in the Super Bowl last year. Uh, they've won, what, 25 regular season games over the last two years. I think went 13-3 and three last year and 12-4 and four the year before that, maybe 11-5. and five. Can't remember their exact record. Um, and Jameis has a long way to go, man, before – here's the thing with the national media, especially when it comes to a small market like Tampa Bay, is – Yes, these guys get paid for full analysis, but they're not always going to give you full analysis, especially on a small market team like this. So if Jameis has a good game, it's not going to be all roses and grapes and honey and all that stuff thrown to as a really weird uh, metaphor, but it's not going to be all of that thrown towards Jameis. He's going to have to, just like we said, stack these types of performances. He's going to have to get into the playoffs before the national media just kind of glosses over and says, oh, yeah, well, Jameis had a good – or they they even care enough to dive into what went wrong like Chris Sims did with Jared Goff. Uh, man, it's just that simple. you got a long way to go before this team starts getting the actual – you know, the coverage like your New York Giants or so on or your New England Patriots or so on and so forth. Um, that's just that's just how life works, man. Yeah, I mean, to to a certain extent, it's just going to kind of be the way that, it, that it's going to be. Like the New England Patriots are always going to get some story time. Uh, New York, your New York market is always going to get some. The Dallas Cowboys are already, always going to get some. Uh, Los Angeles is going to get some. And then when you have a team like the Rams, like you said, I've been coming off of a Super Bowl uh, appearance. Starting off three and zero, you know what I mean. A lot of people, especially with all the questions around Todd Gurley, a lot of people coming into the year were kind of wondering if the Rams were going to be able to recreate the success they had last year because we all know the story of Super Bowl hangovers and Super Bowl losers, especially having a tendency to kind of fall off. So everybody's kind of watching. And then the team started three and zero, but it was kind of an ugly three and zero. So it was like, okay, is it like is it a real three and zero or is it kind of a fake three and zero? So they're still the storyline, no matter what, just kind of going through the season. I mean, if if the Los Angeles Rams were to go to five and eleven this year in Week Seventeen, there's still going to be a storyline because they're coming off of a Super Bowl season. So the storyline would be the Super Bowl hangover, and then of course the uh, the decline of Todd Gurley. If they're five and eleven, I'm assuming Todd Gurley's probably not doing much, or he's he's re injured. So when you're when you're talking about a team like the Rams, they're just that's always going to be a storyline. And then you talk about Daniel Jones the week prior and the New York Giants again. New York media, the quarterback. 
of New York's favorite. I don't know if the Giants or the Jets are the favorite team. Doesn't It's probably kind of split down the middle. But either way, it's a New York media market. So, I mean, that's just kind of the thing. But I'll tell you what, man. As far as as far as I see things, I see the national media kind of peeking through the blinds and being like, we want to show some respect to the Buccaneers. We want to showcase the Buccaneers a little bit. I think national media outlets uh, like NFL Network, um, I think they're really looking for an excuse to put some of these guys on camera and put some of these guys on their shows because we've got a lot of good personalities on this team. Of course, it starts with B.A., but uh, NFL Network. Chris Godwin was on NFL Network today talking about his great start to the season. Um, Jameis Winston announced today as the NFL Player of the Week, so they, he was getting some love on Good Morning Football. Uh, he's a he's a finalist for the for the FedEx Air Player of the Week, which I mean I don't know like if if you're the NFL Offensive Player of the Week, shouldn't you automatically become the FedEx Air Player of the Week if you're a quarterback? Uh, just kind of seems to make sense to me. But and and last I checked as well, Greco, uh, the I actually wrote the post for for BucksNation.com when uh, he became a FedEx finalist for this week, and last I checked on the voting. Jameis Winston was running away uh, with that vote. So, I mean, it's probably a lot of Buccaneers fans, but, I mean, Baker Mayfield is one of those. And if you compare fandoms, Browns fans, to to Buccaneers fans, I think most outsiders would tell you that the Browns fandom is probably a little bit stronger than the Bucs. So, for Jameis Winston to be running away with that vote, at least, like I said, last time I checked it, I think that says something. So, I mean, if this team can stack up wins, and especially wins against respectable opponents, I mean, the Saints are a respectable opponent. You beat the Panthers the Rams and the Saints. The Panthers were one thing. They are kind of considered a playoff contender coming into the season, but they've kind of fallen off as well. People are kind of like, okay, Cam isn't Cam, and you know Christian can't do it by himself. So that loss or that win kind of has lost a little bit of value since it happened, but beating the Rams is a valuable win. Beating the Saints, even with Teddy Bridgewater, beating the Saints would be a valuable win because don't forget the Saints just beat the Seahawks, who were still considered a playoff contention, uh, a playoff caliber team. So... You beat a team that beats a playoff team, right? And that's that's the thing. You go over to London, and you stack another win against another division opponent. You go 3-0 and in the division before your bye week. You're going to start getting some attention. So if these guys just continue to execute, come in week in, week out, uh, take it one week at a time and continue to execute and continue to win, trust me, the, the, the national attention, the national media, the national respect will start to come. Uh, we got one more voicemail, Evan, before we get into the main part of uh, what we're going to talk about. Let's roll. Hey guys, this is Yusuf out here in Phoenix. Question. It just crossed my mind today. Do you think we are underestimating the absence of Devin White? Being concerned with the secondary, it seems like, and maybe it's just me and maybe it's just coincidence, but it seems like the secondary has struggled since he's been out in the Panthers game when he got injured. Is that something to, to take lightly or do you think that it's just I don't mean to make excuses for the defense, but I just remember Arians and Bowles really raving about his communication skills and in training camp, how he's getting people in position and getting guys in position. I don't know. It's something I was thinking about. What do you guys think about Devin White's absence? And do you think that's affecting the secondary? Because I just don't remember in the first couple of weeks, people were really raving about or at least talking good things about our secondary. And since then, we've just been its a little bit worrisome. Anyways, guys, thanks for what you do. Listen to your podcast all the time. Big fan. And keep doing what you do. Peace. Yousef, good to hear from you again. And Evan, yeah, I man, I'll give you first crack at this one as well. Go ahead. 
Yeah, that's man, it's so funny that this was brought up because before we heard today that he was back at practice, I was actually going to write something on how he is going to be needed big time this weekend. Um, I don't think he's his absence is directly affecting the secondary, but it's definitely having an indirect effect. Um, the middle of the field has obviously been wide open. Well, not necessarily wide open. They did a good job of closing it off last week, but um, it's been pretty wide open for the most part. Uh, the last few games, I mean, you think of Greg Olson, you think of the the Evan Ingram 75-yard touchdown across the middle, and a lot of a reason why I think that's happening is because Kevin Minter, who has replaced Evan White, isn't really the best in coverage. I love Kevin Minter. I love what he can do, but everybody knows, well, the, the ones who pay close attention knows he's not the best in coverage. And, um, I mean, you've ha- also had multiple threats on offense the last three games that can stretch said middle of the field. You've had Christian McCaffrey and Greg Olson. You've had Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram plus Sterling Shepard. And then now this past week you had Robert Woods, I mean, Cooper Cup, Todd Gurley, even Gerald Everett on the one drive. So, yeah, man, he's de- and he's definitely going to be needed this weekend. I um, really hope he can go because the Saints added Jared Cook over the offseason. He's actually, man, if Devin White doesn't play, I could really see him having a big day. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that the idea that the secondary is playing a little under par because of Devin White being out of the picture is is far fetched at all, and I don't I don't really consider making an excuse um, for the defense. What I would say is I don't believe that's it. You know what I mean? Like, there's right, more to it right. than just Devin, but I Devin. think Devin is a part of it because, like you said, talking about the communication. I mean, Devin White was drafted number five overall for a reason. You know, like like don't think that Jason Light and Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles aren't sitting in that draft room, understanding that off-ball linebackers are not typically drafted as high as, as fifth overall. So when they're pulling the trigger on a guy like Devin White, it's because they really believe in him and it's because they really think he's a valuable, valuable part of what they're doing. He's the quarterback of their defense, you know? And, and you look at, you know, the flip side of things. If, if your starting quarterback goes out for a lot of teams, it's almost like, okay, ship it in, you know, mail it in, the season's over. But if you have a, a handy backup, then you can kind of uh, keep things afloat until your starter gets back, but you're still always looking forward to when that starter comes back. The Saints know all too much about that. It's it's a similar thing. Kevin Minner has been a very solid replacement. Um, he's been very good in Devin White's place, but the biggest thing that Devin White has over Kevin Minter is something that Kevin Minter just cannot go back and recapture, and that's his athleticism and youth. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I go back to uh, the Dolphins' uh, joint practices. Uh, one day of the practices, I watched the Buccaneers offense. One day I watched the Buccaneers defense on the day that I watched the Buccaneers defense coming into it. I was kind of talking to some of the other people. I was like, Hey, you know, how did it look yesterday? Da, da, da. And they're like, Oh, you know, it looked okay, but they're getting beat over the middle a lot, which is kind of funny. Cause they're, you know, like you said, Evan, that the middle has been a little bit of a soft spot for this defense so far this year. Um, so we're watching and, and I'm watching this and, and I'm seeing Devin and I'm seeing the other players and everything. And I kind of made a comment. I want to say it was to Scott Reynolds. I can't remember if it was Scott specifically or just one of the PR guys, but it was it was at least one of the PR guys. I made a comment. I said, I think the problem right now is Devin isn't getting deep enough because he's almost not trusting his own closing speed. Um, and that's something that I was kind of looking for as the preseason went on. And then as the regular season got started, of course, obviously he was sick the first week and then he got banged up in the second week. So we haven't had a lot of opportunity to see if that's something that was pointed out to him, something that maybe he knows on his own. But early in the, in the Dolphins practice session that day, he got beat a couple times on a couple routes. Uh, Mike Gusecki got him on one, and I want to say it was Kenny Stills got him on one. Um, but I did notice that he made an adjustment as the practice went on. Now, again, it's practice. You know what I mean? So if it's going to translate, Vernon Hargraves kind of talked about that today. We're practicing game day. is a little bit different. 
Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see, especially with a guy like, like Cook, like you said, because I mean, that's a veteran player. And if he notices that Devin isn't trusting his own closing speed and he's not getting deep, uh, deep enough, Jared Cook will take advantage of that and find a place behind him to settle down for Teddy Bridgewater to be able to, to execute passes over him. So looking forward to seeing Devin White get, get back. Definitely. He sounded today like a young guy who definitely expects to play. But yeah, we'll see how things turn out uh, today. And then Friday, of course, will be kind of the pivotal practice to see if, if Devin White's a full participant or not. Yeah, man. And I mean, we know also that Michael Thomas loves to live over the middle as well. So, and Alvin Kamara, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll scheme him up too. So it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see how, how it all works out on Sunday. And like you said, hopefully he can get out there and get it going. Let's move on to uh, kind of the, the main, the chunk of our, of our episode today, which was actually recommended to us on Twitter. It was asked specifically on Twitter up to us if we could do a first quarter review. Four games are in the books. We're four weeks into the season. We're coming into the fifth week. So we've already been through one quarter of the year. Uh, as, as fast as it's already gone by, it's amazing that we're already here uh, coming into week five. The bye week is just a couple weeks away. But we're going to go ahead and we're going to go position group by position group. And we're going to kind of evaluate what we think they've done. And we're going to even we're going to give them a grade. And then we're going to throw those out into the, to the Twitter sphere for people to shoot back at us and tell us how correct or how wrong we are and give us their opinions, of course, but we always want them. And Evan, uh, we split up the position groups. I have quarterback, so why don't I go ahead and get started? I mean, everything starts and ends with Jameis Winston, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, so quarterback. Obviously, we're talking Jameis Winston. Look, this is a guy who I, I got his first game against San Francisco, but Jameis Winston's on pace for 4,500-plus yards. He's on pace for 36 touchdowns, and he's on pace for 20 interceptions, which sounds like a lot, but that's including the the, the San Francisco game, right? If you right. take his last three games and what he's done turnover-wise and extrapolate that through the rest of the season, then he's on pace for 13 interceptions. So really, like if we see that consistency, we're looking at 36 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. That's the pace he's on from the majority of the of the quarter that we've seen so far. That's a pretty good pace. Um, I'd probably put him somewhere between 15 to, to 17 if, if you had to kind of make a bet on there. Um, a lot of – so doing research for this, Evan, I was actually very interested to see – a lot of people have been kind of talking about how we're not seeing Jameis run as much as we kind of thought we we, we would or what we used to, and been wondering if the coaches have been kind of telling them, like, you're not allowed to run. He's actually on pace right now to have more carries than he's ever had in his career. Not yards. His, his, his yards per carry are definitely down, but he's actually on pace to carry the ball more than he ever has in his career. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, look, in the first quarter, he's got two multi-score games. Two road wins, which is huge considering he coming into the year, he hadn't had a road win since November 2017. And both of those road wins, we already kind of touched on it, came against playoff caliber teams. Granted, the Panthers playoff caliber tag has kind of dimmed a little bit since then. But at least coming into that week, that Thursday night game, you know, they were still considered a playoff contender. Uh, so we'll, we'll give them credit where credit is due. Um, currently eighth in the NFL in passing yards, sixth in the NFL in yards per pass completion, which I think is even more important of a stat than the overall passing yards. 41% of his passes so far have been for first downs, and he's top 10 in chunk plays over 20 yards or more, uh, and second in the NFL with 40 or more yards uh, behind, of course, Patrick Mahomes. So that was real interesting to me. A guy in James Winston who, I mean, he's got no deep ball, right? But here he is, uh, top 10 in 20-plus yards, second in the NFL in 40-plus yards. And uh, I'm giving him a B, Evan, for the first quarter. That's a lot of great stuff. San Francisco still happened. You know what I mean? So because San Francisco still happened, it still counts. I'm giving them a B. No, I'm right there with you. And I mean, the pick six 
last weekend happened as well, and that was that could have been really, really bad. I mean, we've seen that happen so many times in years past, so I like it, man. So uh, I guess I'll move on next with the running backs. Obviously, you got Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones with a little bit of Dari Agumbawale sprinkled in. Um, and I think right now, man, you got to give it to Ronald Jones. You got to love what he's done so far. 234 yards on 50 carries through the first four games, 4.7 yards a carry, 10 first downs. Um, he's getting 124 yards before contact throughout four games. That's 2.5 yards before contact. So uh, it's good blocking, just good scheme. Um, things are happening for him. Uh, 1.6 for Peyton Barber just for contrast or for contact's sake. Um, he leads the team in yards after contact with 110 yards so that's 2.2 yards after contact which also leads the team which is a pretty good rate I um, mean he's got eight broken tackles uh on the season so far I mean he's just shown shown power he's shown speed he's shown vision patience I mean he, he's just been such an such an improvement from last year and I think it was a combination of both Dirk Cutter and Ronald Jones, which led to his struggles last year. Um, you know, obviously he had issues with the playbook, fumbling. I mean, he did it the first day I was there at training camp last year. Um, and then obviously this year he was still kind of struggling with pass protection a little bit because Bruce Arian said at one point in camp that Daria Goombawale was the second best pass protector on the team. So got to love what he's doing, man. Peyton. He's he's 53 for 182. It's about 3.7 yards a carry or 3.4 yards a carry. Um, and then he's got a couple touchdowns. Um, you know, just just being Peyton Barber, running through brick walls, being being the hammer, and he's just going to give you you know the hard yardage that you need um, from time to time. So really pleased. And obviously Daria Gumbawale, uh, he's been great as well. A good third down option, especially in the two minute drill. Um, hopefully, though, we can start to see Ronald Jones mix in um, on that down because his skill set is just so much better than the other two guys. And I say that with all due respect. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, definitely. I think uh, Ronald Jones, I mean, he's going to have every opportunity to become the guy in the Tampa Bay backfield. Uh, I think that much is for sure. It's just going to be a matter of whether or not he can really grab a hold of that and uh, and run with it. Um, so what's your grade, your first quarter grade for the position group? I'm going to give it probably. I'm going to give it a B right now. I think there's – I mean, it's good, solid, but I think there's plenty of room for improvement. Yeah, I can agree with that, man. And I'll tell you what, I, I, I'm i a huge fan of Dara Gumbawale, man, but that dude continues to get just worked or blown up on his yeah. first blitz pickup every yeah. week. I don't get it, man. Like, it was happening in practice. I, I noticed it. Uh, he got he got worked or blown up on every every time. they The first blitz pickup he had, he got worked or blown up on every single one. And still, as we get to the regular season – it's just I don't know what it is about that first one, but he just for some reason uh, can't pick it up. I almost wonder if like during pregame drills, they should just line up, put you know Ryan Griffin back there, tell him to hold on for dear life, send a blitz after Dari so that he gets that first one out of the way before the game starts, <laughs> and then maybe that'll fix that. Um, yeah, but I, I can't agree more with anything you said. Um, so moving on to wide receivers. All right, this one's a little bit interesting. So uh, we'll see if everybody follows me with this one. So Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, right? Obviously individual grades. Both of them are getting A's, knocking it out of the park. Chris Godwin's fifth in the league in receptions, third in the league in yards. Mike Evans is fifth in yards, despite being 30th in receptions. That's amazing. Uh, Second highest yards per catch with 20.5. Actually coming right behind uh, Larry Larry Legend, Larry Fitzgerald, which I was surprised about, but I love because Larry Fitzgerald is the man. Among wide receivers with 15 or more receptions so far this year. Both Godwin and Evans are tied in the NFL with four touchdowns. That's best. 
both wide receivers for the Buccaneers are tied for the most receiving touchdowns in the NFL. That's that's just amazing. Both are top six in 20-plus yard catches. Mike Evans leads the league in 40-plus yard catches with Larry Fitzgerald uh, with four of those each. You know what? That's the one where he's tied with Larry. Sorry, not the yards per catch. Godwin leads the league in first down receptions. Evan, what would you consider a really amazing first down catch percentage? It's 85%. Chris Godwin has an 88.5% first down catch percentage among any receiver with more than 10 receptions so far this year. Wow. That is absolutely ridiculous. He had 12 on Sunday. So yeah, that makes, that makes sense. 12 of his 12 is amazing. So Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, a plus is all day long, right? Here's the problem. We're grading the position groups. The third wide receiver on this team in catches is Brashad Perryman. Three catches for 16 yards. Yeah, non-existent, man. Non-existent. Uh, Justin Watson has one. Bobo Wilson has one. And that's it. So I'm giving the group a C. And it's kind of like a it's a disappointing C because, I mean, like the head of the class is is great. But we, we were talking at one point during the offseason and camp and everything about this being a really impressive, like deep wide receiver group. It's not happening right now in the regular season. Um, and I kind of feel like as we get deeper into the year that teams are going to start taking some chances. Like if I'm a defensive coordinator, honestly, I have no problem kind of like doubling Chris and doubling Mike and singling up on everybody else and be like, who's going to make the play? Who's going to make the catch? Who's going to beat this defense? Because right now, none of them are doing it. I was really surprised that Bobo only has one catch. I could have swore Bobo had more than one catch, but uh, I checked it on two or three different references Bobo's got one catch this this year. Um, very surprised. Obviously, Brashad left injured. Um, we'll see how that you know moves forward during the during the season or during the week. But yeah, man, the the, the group for me is getting a C because I mean, the, two, you can't have two receivers all year long being the only wide receiver production. Someone at some point in time has got to become a third option. I mean, we talk about nickel packages and dime packages and all in your in your slot corner being basically a starting cornerback in today's NFL. Well that means you need a third receiver to be basically a starting wide receiver. Adam Humphreys was that last year or Chris Godwin, whatever you want to consider him. They don't have one right now as far as I'm concerned. They've got guys that are getting snaps, but they don't have a guy that is coming and you and you can look at him and say, yep, you're our third guy. Put it this way, those three guys, Prashad, Justin and Bobo uh, they have as many catches as Peyton Barber does combined. They have five. Peyton Barber has five. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but don't worry. Good. Yeah, no. <laughs> but don't worry. OJ Howard is technically a third wide receiver, so you, you can slide him in there a little bit. <laughs> yeah, OJ is definitely. Yeah, he's he's a little bit up there. He's definitely picked up his production lately. But uh, speaking of tight ends, man, I'll let you get in the tight ends, and then you also have the offensive line. So uh, yes, go sir. right into the tight ends and the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, we'll just go just go ahead and start off with O.J. Howard. Um, really rough start to the beginning of the year. Uh, the really bad, obviously, the tip pass or the pass off his hands in week one and then the fumble um, not targeted in week two. Uh, kind of still finding his way, but, hey, he's got six catches for 99 yards over the last two games. No touchdowns. Still hasn't gotten into the end zone just yet, but he's making his way. Um, and I think he'll be fine. Um, 
I, you know, yeah, he just hasn't really played well. So right now for him individually, I got to give him about a C, C plus, something like that. Cam Bray, he's been great in his limited role. Um, nine catches on nine targets for 61 yards and a touchdown. Uh, can't argue with 100% catch percentage. So just for his role, uh, obviously he's not going to be very effective um, as a full-time tight end in this type of offense, especially with how much blocking the tight ends have to do. So, but either way, for what he's doing, I'm giving him an A. And then Anthony Auclair, the uh, I believe he's Canadian. I think he's Canadian. Uh, the Canadian wonder. I mean, dude, he's just a mauler on the on the. He's a, basically an extension of the offensive line, six six, two hundred fifty pounds, um, and he just takes dudes down, defensive ends and linebackers down. So, and from what I've watched and paid attention to him, he's been pl- playing pretty well. So I'll give him a B overall. I'll give the entire group um, a B. Just because, uh, you know, they're, they're not they're not really asked to do much right now. But when they are asked to do much or something, they're they pretty much uh, are they pretty much fill the void when called upon. I mean, even even in San Francisco, man. I mean, if if Demar Dodson doesn't have those penalties, then Cam Brate has at least one touchdown catch in that game. So right. uh, the tight ends have definitely been uh, been influential. Maybe not to the scope that everybody kind of hoped they would. I know that there have been some fantasy outlets that recommended people just go ahead and cut the cord and, and release OJ uh, if they haven't already. I'm kind of hoping somebody in my league does so I can scoop him up and, and stash him for when he catches fire. But, yeah, man, I can't I can't disagree with you. And then uh, what do you got for the offensive line? Offensive line, I'll make it real quick. Obviously, it's five guys, so I'm not going to go down each one individually. But just been really, really encouraged with Alex Kappa. He has looked very, very solid. Um, and then Donovan Smith has looked solid as well. So just the fact that those two are playing well. Well, and Ryan Jensen, too. He's he's played, he's improved a lot this year as well. Um, so just the fact that those three guys, obviously we know what DeMar Dotson can do, even though he's aging and we know what Ali Marpet is. Um, those three guys, the fact that they're playing well, man, I'm going to give them a B plus. Um, I almost want to give them an A, but they did have some struggles earlier in the beginning of the year. Um, so, so I'm going to give him a B plus, not, not quite an A, but a B plus. I like, I think that's a good range. I mean, I think to hit that a, they got to open up a few more, a few more holes for a guy like Peyton Barber. I mean, Rojo can make a few things happen on his own, but Peyton kind of needs that runway to get going. So if they kind of open a little bit more for Peyton there a little bit, and then, uh, you know, like you said, some of those early, early, uh, issues that they had, uh, definitely could have been cleaned up and, and Jameis, yeah, I mean, he's been sacked 12 times. Some of those are his fault. Some of those aren't. But yeah, I think I think B plus is a good range for him. So moving into the defensive line again, I'm not going to go line by line here, um, but just I mean, stat wise, man, I mean, stat wise, William Golson's the only guy who has double digit tackles so far this year. Uh, he's also the only defensive lineman who has a sack. Obviously, Indomitian Sue had the big uh, game clinching touchdown, which I fully support. Depending on which side of the argument you are on, that <laughs> oh, one. no, don't don't um, start that fire, yeah, brother. That's, that's all I'm going to say fire. about that one. I was happy about the, the touchdown. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but listen, stats aren't everything, right? This this defensive front has been getting after it. Vita Vea. I mean, that spin move he laid out. Uh, everybody's been talking about the spin move. It's not the first time we've seen it. It's not the last time we're going to see it. Um, Shaq has already said it. Like those guys are are the reason that he is kind of eating the way that he's eating. And Dominican Sue has come out and said, yeah, like we have no problem being down there in the in the in the trenches and opening those opportunities for those guys. Carl Nassib is is benefiting from them as well. And I know we're gonna talk about linebackers here in a little bit. But listen, here's where I'm gonna to make the the bulk of my argument, right? Run defense starts up front. Run defense starts in the trenches because your running offense starts in the trenches. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are allowing an NFL best, the lowest, 2.9 yards per carry against guys like Christian McCaffrey, against guys like Todd Gurley, 
against guys like Saquon Barkley, against the San Francisco 49ers and their three-headed running back monster, whatever you want to call it. And listen, I understand. Saquon went out after one half. Todd Gurley is not the same Todd Gurley. The San Francisco 49 like Tevin Coleman got hurt, Matt Burrito, whatever, whatever. But listen, there are other defenses in the NFL who aren't facing these guys even at their, quote-unquote, not best. They're facing other running backs out there uh, in the league who aren't even considered to be in the in the top shelf uh, like 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 Christian McCaffrey, Todd Gurley, Saquon Barkley. I mean, we saw Christian McCaffrey throw up two games worth of offense in the first week um, of the NFL season. So for them to be averaging 2.9 yards per carry, I heard some conversation today, and as I've seen some conversation on social media talking about, well, the Buccaneers' run defense is, is highly touted because people aren't running against them. Well, listen, that's a little bit true. I, I want to say 80, 80, 81 carries have been uh, attempted against the Buccaneers' defense so far this year, which is definitely one of the lowest numbers. But this number... 2.9 yards per carry. That is a number that you can take to the bank. It doesn't matter how many times you've been run against. What you're saying is that running backs are rarely getting more than three yards per carry. Um, I've got a little bit more on that number, but I'm going to save it for the linebacker group. But my grade overall for the defensive line is a B. I'm Only right because there, the stats right aren't there. If the stats yeah. were there, like we had a couple sacks out of there and, and a couple more double-digit tacklers, it'd be an A. But right now it's a B. Yeah, the defensive line has been great. I mean, Levita Vey is becoming one of my favorite players. And I believe, if I remember correctly, they're second um, on footballoutsiders.com. They're second in terms of stuff percentage, um, which basically means that they don't allow anything um, past one or two yards or past the first two line, two yards. Of, holy crap, past the first two yards after the line of scrimmage. So, I mean, man, and it's another thing to do this once against one of those running backs that you listed, but the fact they've done it every single time. It tells you it's not a fluke. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And we'll see how they do against Alvin Kamara uh, this weekend. And then I'll go ahead right into the linebackers. That's the next group I've got, and we'll kind of just go along with the flow there. And that's kind of what I was talking about with that 2.9 yards per carry average, and this is where the linebackers come in a little bit, talking about that second level. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense is one of only four teams in the NFL right now who have not allowed a 20-plus yard run. And that's without their number five overall pick. That's awesome. And it's funny because they face the Saints who are tied uh, for first or last in the NFL with uh, allowing five 20 plus yard runs. <laughs> there you go. So hopefully we'll get plenty from Rojo and nothing from Alvin. Um, and then of course, Raquel Barrett, man, leads leagues in sacks uh, with nine. Shaq Barrett is on pace to have as many sacks as Jameis Winston is passing touchdowns. That is insane. Somebody pay, <laughs> this, insane. Man. Somebody pay this man right now. Let's not even let it get to the offseason. Somebody please pay this man. He's also got three passes defended. One interception and three force fumbles. I know a lot of people are mad that he did not get defensive player of the week. Listen, this is kind of where the Tampa Bay Buccaneer respect thing comes in. The NFL is not going to let the offensive and defense players of the week for a conference come from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in one week. That's just not going to happen. So I think they had they basically picked one or the other, and I think Jameis got it because Shaq's getting player of the month for September. You, I'm, I'm putting no, I'm putting sense. that prediction out there right now. If he doesn't get it. It's a travesty. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's had all kinds of NFL records. He has to. Yeah, exactly. Um, so obviously a great linebacker. Listen, all but one sack, and that's the one that William Golson has for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense right now, has come from the linebackers. The top three tacklers on this team are linebackers. Here's the grade I'm going to give them. I'm giving them a B plus only because they didn't turn in one project yet, and that's Devin White. And it's not their fault. I'm giving them a buy on that, right? Obviously, Devin White is not playing because there's a certain reason for it, and it's not his fault. So I'm kind of giving him a B plus with the caveat that once we see this project get turned in, 
we could elevate that to an A or even an A plus. Yeah, I mean, and hopefully he's the uh, bell curve, so to speak, that brings it up to an A+. plus. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and move right on into the secondary, so I'm going to take the cornerbacks and the uh, safeties. And this group, man, it's up and down, but that's to be expected with a young secondary, a young, talented secondary um, under a new system. Carlton Davis, he, despite the missed tackles and the certain um, plays that we've seen him mess up, the penalties, stuff like that, He's actually kind of been the best corner on the team. He's been targeted a team high 34 times. He's allowed a team low 47.1 completion percentage, um, 168 yards, no touchdowns, 61.9 quarterback rating. Uh, Vernon Hargraves, man, it's not very good. Um, 70% completion percentage uh, on 30 targets, which is second highest on the team. So guys are throwing his way for sure. 96.8 quarterback rating and one touchdown. But the weak link, man, has been Mike Edwards, uh, 157.5 quarterback rating, uh, 13 of 17, 76.5%, 240 yards, um, and three touchdowns. He's just been lit up. Jordan Whitehead, though, he's been the stud of the group, man. Got to love what he has done, um, 54.2 quarterback rating. Uh, he's just all over the place, run support, covering tight ends, especially elite tight ends, um, playing the pass. Just being a, I mean, he got the interception uh, off of Jared Goff last week. He has been an absolute stud. I love what he can do. So, overall, like I said, up and down, that's to be expected of this group. Um, I think there's plenty of room for improvement, obviously. Um, I'm going to give him a C, though, because also you've got MJ Stewart with one. Actually, no, I'm going to give him a D plus um, because you got MJ Stewart, 124.8 quarterback rating, 63.6% completion, team high 22 targets. I mean, you've got one, two, three cornerbacks that are allowing over or three defensive backs that are allowing a hundred quarterback rating. And then you've got two Sean Murphy bunning and Vernon Highgraves that are allowing over a 95 quarterback rating. That's, that's just not good. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm holding back a little bit on NJ Stewart right now, but man, uh, he, he's not looked good in the, and they keep letting him cover slot receivers and, and maybe it's cause there's a limited, you know what I mean? Like a limited option. I don't know. Ryan Smith has got a little bit more athleticism to him. Maybe I know I know the comment today with him coming back is that he's a special teams guy and I get that, <laughs> but I don't know, man. Like uh, I can't disagree with you there. And I think honestly, oh, we got special teams too, right? Yeah, uh, special teams. I mean, obviously, coverage has been really shaky a lot of times. A lot of bad penalties. Saints actually had a punt return for a touchdown two weeks ago against the Seahawks. Obviously, we know the Matt Gay miss earlier, but other than that, he's been pretty solid. You know, uh, Bubba Wilson had the big run in, against the Car- – or the big return, rather, in the Carolina game, but it was called back for a penalty. So, just waiting for that spark. But based off of what we have so far, I'm going to give it a D. I mean, just a lot of holes, especially since, you know, Keith Armstrong was pretty heralded coming in to uh, Tampa Bay when Bruce Harrians brought him in this year. So he was supposed to bring, you know, kind of a, a rock solid group. And we've seen pretty much anything but that since. So I'm going to go D right now um, and just like hopefully nowhere to go but up. Well, there is one way to go, but it's <laughs> down. But <laughs> but hopefully only no way to go but up. Yeah, man. Um yeah, it's been it's been rough, and I know that that's been a big focus for Bruce Arians. Uh, I guarantee you that unit is feeling some pressure right there in that building, and that coach is feeling some pressure right there in that building. Uh, 
So hopefully we see some improvement. Hopefully we start seeing some improvement this week. Um, you know, it, that would definitely be a, a huge boost. So that special teams to start picking things up, that would definitely be a huge boost for this team to to be able to get through this road trip uh, with some with some more success. So Evan, that's going to wrap up our, our quarterly evaluation. I think we'll probably do that again in the midway point and then again as we get near uh, December. Um, it was a lot of fun. So thank you out there uh, to the Twitterverse for for throwing that idea out at us and doing that. And Evan, you're also going to be writing up a similar thing about this, right, for the, for Bucks Nation? Yes, sir. Yeah, so that, so tomorrow definitely keep Friday. That. Awesome. Awesome. Um, but Evan, Lord, let's uh, we're, we're running a little bit long, but that's okay. Well, I want to get some of your thoughts. So I gave you two minutes in the beginning of the episode to talk about the Rams. So I want to give you like two to three, maybe up to five minutes or so if you really want it. Um, to talk about the Saints. Kind of what are you looking forward to? What do you think are some of the key matchups? And then as 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 has become our, our Wednesday night tradition for our Thursday episode, I got to put you on the spot before we even have final injury reports and get a score prediction out of you. So a lot of it depends on how the injury report plays out, obviously, but both teams, I mean, they look like they're not going to have any kind of uh, injuries that are going to hamper them too bad. Um, obviously, we're going to see what happens with Devin White, but let's just go ahead and assume that Devin plays, Ryan Jensen plays, you know, all these guys play that aren't practicing right now, um, minus Jack uh, Kishi, obviously. Uh, but, man, what I'm looking for, obviously, got to stop Alvin Kamara. Um, that's going to be number one. And honestly, I think if they can do that, they've got a really good shot at winning. Um, there are just still too many questions to me on the Bucks. Can they take the next step? Um, are they going to be consistent in this game? Will they make the same plays that they made last week? You know, will the play calling be as on point like it was last week? We don't know just yet. And we've seen the Saints go to Seattle and win a big game and then beat the undefeated Dallas Cowboys at home last week as well. So we've seen them take that step. We've seen them stack some wins back to back. So that to me is um, going to be just the biggest thing overall is the mindset of the Bucks coming in. Plus it's a really emotional coming off in a really emotional game uh, with Jason Light's father passing away. And by the way, uh, condolences, Mr. Light. I know you don't know me, but either way, I, I would feel amiss to not at least mention that. Um, so it's just going to be in in a second road game in a row. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how that works out. Um, when it comes to on the field matchups, like I said, Alvin Kamara, and then you got to wonder who's going to be on Michael Thomas. I'm guessing Carlton Davis. Um, but it could be Vernon, even though I think Carlton's a little bit stronger. He's going to be a little bit lankier. I can handle Thomas a bit better. Um, and then you've just got to, you've got to make Teddy Bridgewater just dink and dunk. Uh, be careful, though. He can scramble. Somebody's going to have to be aware of where he's at at all times, and he is not afraid to take off and run. And then on defense or on offense for the Bucks, just do what you did last week. Saints play a lot of zone. They do mix in man. They are comfortable with rushing four and just dropping everybody else back. Just be aggressive like you were last week. Call the beautifully designed plays that I saw on film when I was watching last night. Um, you know, some zone beaters, you know, whatever concept you need to call, whether it's a smash, you know, a flood, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call. Um, and that's, and that to me would be the key um, is just, and, and try to keep that defensive line away from you because it takes them a little bit to get going. But once the Saints defensive line gets going, they're pretty hard to stop. So just make sure you get the ball out quick, just like last week. And let's get another W. All right, Evan, I need a score prediction from you. Oh, yeah, my bad. Sorry, man. Unfortunately, with all that that I just said, like I said, 
too many questions for me. Just I don't know if Tampa Bay is ready to take that step. Um, I hope they are. But like I said last week, I'm not a cheerleader or anything like that. Um, I, I do think the Saints pull out the victory this week. Um, I don't think it's going to be a, a blowout or anything like that, but I'm thinking something along the lines of 20 to 14, 20 to 17. Uh, I think New Orleans finds a way to win. All righty. Uh, so that's you and James both going with New Orleans. If anybody missed the crossover episode that James did with Ross Jackson from All Saints Considered and the host of the Locked On Saints, I highly recommend you go check that out. Ross is one of my favorite crossovers. Usually I sacrifice my Tuesday night off and I do the crossover episode when Ross comes on just because he's that cool of a dude. Um, but I was a little still, I was still, I'm still a little sick, actually, honestly, but still a little too under the weather uh, to sacrifice that. I, I spent the night uh, laying on my couch feeling bad for myself again. So unfortunately, I missed that one, but I will probably be on the next one when, uh, when the Saints come to Tampa. So um, I will give my prediction uh, on our Friday episode when James will be back and we'll be doing our deep dive into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers week five matchup against the New Orleans Saints. Of course, if you have your own hot take score predictions that you want to give or if you want to tell Evan and I how dumb we are and incorrect we are about our first quarter grades for this team, by all means, please do so on social media. Of course, you can find me at DH82 underscore Bucks. Find Evan at Evan underscore Winner. Find the show at Locked On Bucks. And of course, find everything we're doing at BucksH.com. If you want to call in your voicemail opinions, dial up 813-444-5841. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the rest of your Thursday, uh, Thursday night football. Who's playing Seattle and Los Angeles? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah, uh, I go Seattle. Fantasy quarterback, and I have Robert Woods is my is one of my fantasy receivers. So apparently I've got something invested in that game. Um, so if you're watching the game, uh, enjoy it. Evan, as always, thank you very much for joining us here Thursday. And to all of you out there, thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked on Bucks. Awesome.